Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you. Uh, my name is Rob Gicking, and as Ronnie said, I am uh, kind of in between. I, I've currently actually been serving at Columbia Presbyterian Church right down the road from you, and then we'll be going just a few more miles down the road from you to serve at Chapelgate starting in January. Um, but it is really my pleasure to be with you all this morning. Um, as I was reconnecting with Matt, Matt and I are covenant children, um, both in the, the broader sense of the term, but also covenant of grace children. And so it's just neat to see when you um, go around that we are indeed one big family. Um, and so today we're, we're going to be looking um, at a passage uh, uh, that deals with love. And when we think of love, oftentimes it's easy to, to maybe consider 1 Corinthians 13 as the, the chapter of love. But I would actually argue 1 John is like the book of love. And so we're looking at chapter 4, just a few verses here, 9 to 11. Here's what it says. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now, Lord, um, in anticipation. Lord, this is a season of anticipation as we, as we look forward um, to the celebration of your coming, Lord. As we look forward to your triumphant return. But Father, now, even in this moment, we look forward to be nourished by your word. Lord, would you speak through me, despite my own weaknesses and my own sins, Lord, and would it really be your word that goes forth to encourage the hearts of your people that they would go and bring you glory and do good unto others. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as I was um, preparing, I came across a really interesting Facebook survey. And it said this, and I want you to actually think about it for a second, so I'm going to ask you the question, and then I'm just going to give you a second to consider. What would you do if you woke up with one billion, B, capital B, billion dollars in your bank account tomorrow morning? What would you do if you woke up with one billion dollars in your bank account tomorrow morning? So, obviously, this being a Facebook survey, there's literally thousands and thousands of comments. Um, I did not read all of them because I have a life and two children, um, but I read a good amount. And here's, here were some of my favorites. The, I'll start with the funny ones. <laughs> I would order a quarter pounder, dot, 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 with cheese. <laughs> You're living rich now. All right, yeah. I would fill up my SUV with premium unleaded gasoline. <laughs> oh, this, this one's like funny, but it kind of hurts. I would pay off half of my student loans. <laughs> Yeah, but there was a lot of funny ones, but there were even more. There's a, this, this overwhelming sense of generosity among people. Maybe it's the time of year, I, I don't know, but people were so generous in theory. And this is what they had to say. I would start a charity fund. I would help people on a larger scale. Uh, I would start an orphanage. I would make sure no child would go hungry. I would give away half. That's a lot. It's $500 million. Half immediately to a rock-solid Christian organization. This was really, this one was really interesting. Uh, I would give it all away to charity. I don't want to be rich in a world with so much poverty and sadness. Well, it kind of sounds to me, after reading these Facebook comments, that the problem in our world is not people, it's money, right? Because clearly there's so many generous people that if only they had the resources would fix all the problems that we face. Right? I mean, 
I'm just inferring from what I read, their own testimony. But it, I don't think that's true. And so I started doing some research and, about billionaires. Because I thought, well, there are some, and what do they do with all of their, their money? And so here's some billionaire facts for you this morning. Um, currently, there are roughly 2,150 billionaires worldwide. 2,150 people have at least one, if not more, billion dollars. And so um, there's this really interesting uh, initiative from a company called Global Citizens, and it's called Give While You Live. And here's what it is. It says if, the, uh, if these 2,150 billionaires would give just 5%, 5% uh, annually of their wealth, it would literally solve extreme poverty and the climate crisis by 2030. So what was that, eight and a half years from now, 5% a year from these 2,000 people would solve poverty and climate crisis. Wow. Um, but it, obviously we know if there's an organization that is calling people to action, it's probably good to infer that maybe that action isn't occurring. And so I read a little further, um, and it says this. In 2020, the world's top 20, so 20 billionaires, gave away just under 1% of their wealth. And if you take away Bill Gates and Warren Buffett from that list, it actually drops uh, to 0.3%. So they were a large portion of bringing that number up. So it sort of begs the question, why? How can, in a world of poverty and suffering and sadness, people with so much give so little? And biblically, I would, I would offer the following reasons. We're sinful people. The number in the bank account might change, but the name on top of that account does not. And so all the selfishness and hubris and greed and lust and all the things that I am today would still be there tomorrow regardless of my bank account. And two, it's never enough, is it? It's never enough. To give my wealth away would literally cost me wealth. And if it's never enough, if I can never have enough, how could I possibly consider giving some away? I don't have enough myself yet. And it made me think of, um, you know, I'm not very artistic, but I do love The Greatest Showman, and that is a musical to me, by the way, so please don't judge me harshly. But I, I was thinking, I was like, it's that song, right? It's the song that she sings. Uh, you know, all the shine of a thousand spotlights, all the stars we steal from the night sky will never be enough. It'll never be enough. Towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world, but it'll never be enough. And brothers and sisters, there's a reason for that. Because we were never meant to be satisfied with creation. We were meant to be satisfied with the Creator Himself. And so this passage today speaks to our heart in a very overwhelming way about that truth, about the satisfaction that is only found in God. And it says this, God's love. That's, that's kind of the first thing. And this, the love of God, God's love was made manifest among us. That God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. There's two words here in this first verse that really kind of were tugging at me. It's the word love, right, uh, and the word manifest, because that's not a word we often use today. You know, I don't walk around using manifest in my daily vocabulary all that often. And so this love, many of you know, is the agape love. And, and what is that? It's to be devoted to, to delight in, to display generous concern, esteem, and value. But there's actually an, an even bigger meaning here. It says this. I love this. It's unconditional love. The highest form of love. The love that God has for
for you, for mankind. And so, how does God display this love, this highest form of love, this unconditional love He has for you? Well, it says He, 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 he brings His only Son. He sends His Son into the world. It's manifest. That word literally means to bring to light and display in its true form. Okay? So, if we were to be you know, summarizing this verse, what I would say to you is that God's love is exposed for all to see in this act that He sends His only Son into the world that we might live. Contrast that generosity with the prior example. God's love is exposed. That's the love that we look forward to this Advent season, right? That's what we're looking forward to. The fact that God sends His Son into the world, that's what we celebrate at Christmas. It's God's love being exposed for the world. Goes on, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. As I continued through the comments, I noticed that there was another theme present. That people seem to, to, to use this phrase in not so many words, but to, I would give money to the people I feel deserve it. So I, I inherit a billion dollars tomorrow morning, I'm going to give this money to the people who I feel deserve it. And Thank God he does not work that way, yes? Because it says here clearly so that we can't get this confused. We can't trick ourselves into thinking, well, that love that God exposed by sending his son into the world is for me. Well, because I'm pretty good. No, not that we have loved God. Not that we have loved God. This is a theme. You want to talk about themes and patterns? Look at Scripture over and over and over again. This is the pattern of God in Scripture that he loves first. Exodus 20, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the uh, land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It's, it's the indicative before the imperative. God explains His love to the people of Israel and then He tells them how they are to live. Romans 5.8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Later in this same chapter in 1 John 4 and verse 19, we love because He first loved us. Why is that important? Because my understanding of this dynamic changes my perspective in the way that I live my life. It changes the way that I see my relationship with my Heavenly Father. And when that changes, so does the way I treat other people. Not that we have loved God. Romans puts it really well in in chapter 3 and in chapter 6. When we combine them, it, it gives us this beautiful picture of our reality. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the penalty for sin is death. We deserve God's wrath. If God was giving to people as they deserved, He would give His wrath to us. We deserve God's wrath, but we get His love. Why? Because of this word right here, the propitiation The propitiation, some of you may know this is a sacrificial term. It has to do with sacrifice, and that's very true. But sometimes we miss the fullness of this word. It's it's not just a sacrifice that bears God's wrath, okay? It's not just a sacrifice that bears His wrath. It's a sacrifice that bears God's wrath and turns it into favor. It 
turns it into favor. Jesus doesn't come down into the world as a baby in a manger, live the life that we couldn't live, die the death we deserve, and conquer death just so you and I can come out net neutral. And then he doesn't say to us, okay, you've broken even, you're on your own from here. No, he comes, even though we don't deserve it, to be the propitiation, to take God's wrath and turn it into his favor and bestow that upon us. That's his love for us. The love that's exposed by sending his son into the world is that we would go from a place of wrath to a place of God's favor, even though we don't deserve it. So what do we do? (laughs) Right? As As I was reflecting on this passage, I was going, man, this is one of those times that I'm studying God's word and, and yeah, the, the uh, initiative for studying God's word is that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, exposit, I'm going to preach this to my brothers and sisters, but I just felt I was being transformed as I read this. Because that's not how the world works. We live in a transactional world, yes? Everything we do is a transaction. If I want someone to like me, right, like I go and I be nice to them, right? If I want more money, I work harder. If I would like to have a different appearance in the mirror, I unfortunately have to eat less cookies, right? It's a transaction. Do this, get that. Don't do it, don't get it. But here we are, and we're faced with this truth that God does not work like that. What do you do, right? We want to do something with this. I want to do something with this. And here it is. Verse 11, beloved. What's your name, by the way? We could do a whole sermon on that. That's your name. Beloved. Beloved, if God so loved us, in other words, if this is the way God loved us, and it is, we also ought to love one another. There were two most striking answers to that Facebook survey that left me just perplexed, confused, and sad. Because again, this is not a theological survey, right? This is not only to uh, Christians or, or, or people who are thinking about such things. This is just to anybody on the World Wide Web. And there were two answers that I just like stopped me in my tracks. And the first one was this. The guy says, if I inherited a billion dollars in the morning, I'd immediately start worrying about losing it. The second one was worse. If I inherited a billion dollars in the morning. I'd behave as if nothing had changed at all. I'd behave as if nothing had changed at all. But for those who are in Jesus Christ, those two answers are an impossibility. It is impossible Because God's love never runs out. So I don't have to worry about losing it. Because once it's upon me, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the once and for all, the it is finished work of Jesus Christ that he places on me, that takes me from wrath and gives me God's favor, it is finished. And that is why I can say along with all of you, I am beloved. You are beloved. And that will never change. Because God does not change. And what he says is true. And so his love is on you. His favor is on you. I don't need to worry about losing that. Because just like there was nothing I could do to get it, there's nothing I can do to lose it. 
His love never runs out. I'd behave as if nothing had changed. I, I'm telling you, that one haunted me this week. Because I thought, huh, if my whole illustration is built on, you know, a God's love is even better than a billion dollars, have I changed? Am I different? And I started to go down the rabbit hole of man-centered application. You, know, you understand what I mean when I say that? I started to go through, like, well, what have I done recently to prove, right? What have I done recently to show that? And here was, here was like, it's like God's voice comes booming through the sky at us. It says, you know, God's love doesn't just improve me. It doesn't just improve us. It literally transforms us. Previously in the chapter, John is saying, we, we go from dead to life. We go from, from wrath to favor. We, be, we go from children of disobedience to children of God. And if God is love, then as the children of God, we are literally micro-manifestations, okay? Micro-manifestations of our Father. We are the manifestations to our neighbors of the same love that changed our very nature. And because we have the overwhelming, never-ending love of God, which He poured on us through Jesus Christ, even when we were not deserving, because we have that love, we can be a people who loves others in overwhelming and radical ways, regardless of the personal cost or our perception of their worthiness. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Because that's exactly what God did for you and for me. He loved me when I didn't deserve it, and He called me His own. He loved you when you didn't deserve it, and He called you beloved. That is good news. That's the light that burst forth in the darkness. That's the hope of this season. Because all the things under the Christmas tree, all the disappointments I face in life, whether it's my job or, or my family or whatever it is that I'm going through, all of these things will let us down because they're supposed to. They were never meant to fill that, that, that void. But there is something that's meant to fill the void, and it's the love of God present here. It's the love of God that says to David, hey, hey don't worry about my house. I like yours, by the way, but check this out. I got something even better in store for you, David. Not because you deserve it, but because that's who I am. This is the good news of the gospel. So, what do we do with it? Go be who you were meant to be. Do the things that God has called you to do. Not as a way of just, of just going through the motions, because that's what we're supposed to do. But because, as we see here, we're literally transformed by God's love. Pray that God would show you the way he loves you. And then stand back and be amazed. Because that's the life-changing love of our God. Go love one another. Go be lights in the darkness that our society desperately needs as they look to the creation instead of the creator. Show them the better way. With your life. With your words. By the way you love one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word, which is so encouraging to our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that you are not a transactional God who says, do these things and then I'll bestow upon you my love. But you bestow upon us, a broken and undeserving people, your love. And that changes us. 
Lord, may we not be the same. May we not pretend that things are no different. May we be a people that to the outside look crazy because we indeed are different, doing things that don't make sense to the outside because we're working on a different metric. Lord, we want to be people that are evidence of your love. So Lord, I just pray these things, and I know that I fail in this all the time. Lord, would you open my eyes and my heart to see the way that you love me? And would you do the same for my brothers and sisters here? It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen.